Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. So glad to have you along uh, today for the ride to have a conversation about whatever is really on your mind, which is, quite frankly, Jesus. <laughs> First and foremost, there's no question about it. Uh, as we see the, the interesting things that are happening in the world, a lot of great things are happening. I know so many Christians who this past year were really blessed. And they had some tough times and they had some not so great times. I was talking with a young couple. Uh, they were able to buy a new home this past year. Their family is expanding this year. They had some fertility problems that they were, I mean, their, their world is going great. And every time I hear somebody saying, boy, it was really hard because, I mean, let's face it, the reality is the cost of living has gone up dramatically over the past couple of years. Um, inflation, I mean, it was only a matter of time before uh, the, the government artificially kind of putting their thumb on the proverbial scale of the American economy and the world economy was not going to work any longer. And many people benefited. Boy, if you've got a house that's got a two and a half or three percent mortgage right now, you benefited. But you're also stuck in that house right now because the best you could do if you purchased a new one is get about a seven percent mortgage. That means your house is going to cost more. So, I mean, there's some give and take that goes on. But speaking of houses and speaking of money, I wanted to kick things off here with a very interesting study, something that I had not really given consideration to until earlier this week when I read something in The Guardian, which is an English publication, and it's kind of a 50-50 ball. I mean, in terms of The Guardian, a couple of the Daily Mirror, some of these other British press tabloids are just that, they're tabloids. And yet... Um, some of them actually have some pretty decent reporting, especially about things that would impact the world. Now, this is a study that came out of the UK, but it mirrors what's happening in the United States as it pertains to millennials and how they are preparing for the future financially. Now, whenever you hear me talking with Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, longtime sponsor of The Bottom Line Show. We talk about uh, making prudent investments, planning for the future, and a lot of what Dennis is doing is helping people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s get ready to make sure that they're, they're all set. Well, did you know that in 2024, 2024, if you will, the oldest millennials are 42 years of age? <laughs> when did that happen, right? I mean, I have a son-in-law, my son-in-law, Brian Maka, Emily's uh, husband, uh, Emily's my oldest daughter. Uh, and, and Brian is, is turning 40 this July, and he has been dreading it for the past two years. I remember spending time with him a couple summers ago. He goes, Dad, I mean, I thought I'd be at a different place. And, you know, whatever. And I said, Brian, it's okay. I mean, everybody does that kind of self-reflection. That's good. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I'm turning 40 soon. I said, yes, I do understand. I can see the calendar. Uh, no, and Brian listens to the show. He's listening online in Texas right now, I, I hope. So, Brian, I love you. And happy 40th birthday. You only got six more months, and then you'll be there, buddy, and you'll be fine. But I look at Brian and M. I look at my all of our other millennial kids. We have millennials in Generation Z, and you know, kind of see how they're doing. You know, comparatively speaking. And 20 years ago, the percentage of uh, youngsters, if you will, in this age demographic who were homeowners is a lot higher. For example, in the UK, this is very similar to the US. In 1997, 55% of British homeowner, or excuse me. 55% of millennials then age 25 to 34 were homeowners in 1997. Um, in 2017, 20 years later, that had dropped dramatically to 35%. And one of the biggest reasons, I mean, in 2022 in England, only 10% of homeowners were age 35 or younger. Everyone else had kind of inherited this. Now, England has some crazy inheritance tax laws that we don't have here in the United States. But a lot of English parents are deeding their homes now to their adult younger children because they want to avoid the inheritance tax. So, I mean, you kind of have to have the honor system where mom and dad say, hey, look, we're going to live in this house, but we're putting it in your name now. We're just giving it to you. We're giving you your inheritance. The kids have to understand that you can't just go sell it and leave mom and dad on the street or take out a second or third mortgage on it, or even a first, and leave, you know, kind of bleed them dry and put mom and dad on the hook. But the idea is that millennials in the UK, one in five adults under the age of 40 believe that they will definitely be able to buy a home of their own in the next decade. And the same pattern is happening here in the United States. Why do you think there's been kind of this net immigration or net 
migration, I should say, more people leaving California than staying. They're going to places like Texas. What's interesting, though, I saw this thing. What was it? The uh, it was either the San Francisco Chronicle or it might have been the Houston Chronicle. I was talking about what's happening in Texas with regard to Californians who are moving to Texas. And they were shocked. The authors were. It must have been the San Francisco Gate paper. They were shocked to find out how many educated people were moving out of California. They thought, well, you know, we understand if it's people who aren't terribly educated and they want to go to Cal- from Texas to Texas from California. But we educated types, the professional and graduate level. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there was a net decline in California's population by 0.9% of college-educated professionals who have a master's degree or better out of California. High-tech industry people leaving. Uh, Californians with bachelor's degrees, quarter of a million left the state for Texas and Tennessee. Uh, Amazing, right? So now, what do we find ourselves at? So whether it's the UK or now the United States, you've got millennials who are doing whatever they can. Here's the problem, though. As more and more parents of you know, that are fairly well-to-do are leaving a home to their kids before they pass away, now there are some families where that's not the case. And if there was a wealth gap between certain age groups, you know, people in the same age group, rather, it's going to potentially get even worse as now these younger people who didn't have much wind up with big inheritances and other young people do not. By the way, I just want to throw this out here. If you are in a situation right now where you are baby boom age and you're getting ready to retire or you're retired and you're looking at your home, maybe in the People's Republic of California, and uh, you're saying, wow, this home is just, it's a nice home, but it's a lot of home and I don't really need it. I'm thinking about selling my home and downsizing, getting something smaller and maybe downsizing out of state. Hey, you could do the math as well as I can. Let's say you live in a home. I'll give you an example of someone we know. I won't mention their name or the, if there's a family connection. There is, but I won't mention it. Lived in a home for 25 years. It's an older home. Uh, had a little bit of remodeling. It's a, it's a nice home. Current price, when they paid maybe $400,000 for it when they bought it, it's well worth over $1.6 million now. There is equity in that home. What is that family going to do? Well, one of the spouses is in retirement age. They could sell that home, pay off what little debt they have left on the house, take the difference. Let's say they had a $300,000 note. Take $1.3 million, go to a place like Texas, get the exact same size home brand new for half that price. And take the rest of it and do what? Call Dennis Wilson, right? <laughs> Put that money into a CD alternative, a real estate investment trust alternative, IRA alternative, 800-696-9970. Think about this for a moment. Guys like Dave Ramsey will tell you, you, you want to get your house paid for? You want to uh, sell everything that's loose and to the point where the kids are getting scared. You know, Pay off all your debts. When you have your house paid for, though, you have to ask yourself the question, how much house do I need and how much equity is in the house right now? That equity is only worth something if you sell the house or if you pass away and leave the house to somebody else in your family. Analysts are anticipating something that they call a silver tsunami. And that is a record number of baby boomers who have retired. They've got a pension, but maybe the pension isn't going as far as they thought it would go. They might have a 401k or an IRA, and it's not providing the same kind of yield they hoped it would. And they're looking at the equity in their home and say, well, I could, I've got two ways to tap into this equity. I can either take out a loan, get a home equity loan, or maybe a second mortgage, or get a first mortgage if the house is paid for. But then I borrowed money for myself and I'm paying interest on it and I don't want to do that. Well, there's a second very legal way to capitalize on that. And people have been doing it in record numbers for the past three years. And that's sell your paid for or nearly paid for expensive house in an expensive area. Find a place like Nashville, Tennessee, where there's no state income tax and very low property taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Texas has no state income tax, but they'll get you on the property taxes. They're high. Got a couple kids who uh, live there. One purchased, the other one's trying to purchase. And that's a real factor. When you start saying, wow, my house note might be the same as my property tax payment. That's a lot to contend with. 
But this silver tsunami means that these baby boomers, possibly you and your family, are going to sell their homes, move into uh, lower tax, lower rent areas, maybe even decide to rent, not tie up all that money, and look for a place to park the rest and invest it. I'm telling you, that money's going to go into play one way or the other. And Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Services is the best place I know to contact. Call Dennis and his team at 800-696-9970. We don't have a wealth tax yet, but a state tax, if you will. It's on mega millions. But as the government continues to take on more debt, like we talked about last week on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, um, as the government takes on more debt, the challenge that we're going to face is more ways that they're going to try to tax you. And I'm sure that inheritances will be one of them. So call Dennis, find out how to maximize your retirement and not leave your kids with a major tax bill when you pass away. 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial and they can help you right there. As we continue, you know, that was just some advice from me to you sharing about financial situations that we're facing right now in the culture. Those are just economic realities. But another more overarching and important reality is the fact that we are sinful people. And apart from uh, faith, grace by faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot save ourselves. And as a result, then that leaves people with one of two options. Uh, A friend of one of my millennial kids uh, uh, was diagnosed with colorectal cancer not too long ago. And a young person, you know, just perfect health, never would have seen this coming. But now this family is rallying around this person is fighting for their life. You never know. And more and more people are beginning to realize you never know. And yet, what are we as Christians supposed to do with that? We look at a world that's fallen apart. And oftentimes we want to elect new politicians or change new laws or create morality standards. When in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, The one job that we have as Christians is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. So why do we all stink at that so much? Dr. John Hopper is back uh, to have a conversation with me about, he's the executive director of REACH, the evangelist and training arm of Search Ministries. And uh, he's written a book called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy in Sharing the Gospel. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we will be giving away a copy of this book at the end of the hour. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Dr. John Hopper joins me next as the bottom line continues. Call personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law first after an accident. Friends or family might tell you to get in touch with the insurance company for the party at fault first, but this is wrong. Stephanie knows countless myths that surround personal injury law, and she will help you separate fact from fiction. Stephanie worked directly for insurance companies for decades, and she knows how to navigate the process. You may wonder if your injury is too minor to warrant an attorney representing you. Stephanie can help you figure that part out with a free call, and she will tell you honestly if she thinks it's worth pursuing. Sometimes injured people are concerned about going to trial, but Stephanie prides herself on her ability to stay out of a courtroom because it typically means that she can maximize the amount you will actually receive. Don't make these decisions on your own. Contact Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash cover. That's C-O-V-E-R. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that is kind of a tough one for people to get into, because for some reason, we in the Western Church have decided that going into all the world and preaching the gospel is the role of the missionary or the role of the evangelist. It's not something that any of us should be doing. And joining me today here on The Bottom Line to have a conversation about how we can rectify that situation is Dr. John Hopper, who is the author of a brand new book called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy in Sharing the Gospel. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. John Hopper, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, great to be with you today, Roger. And I mentioned Dr. Hopper has a doctorate of ministry from Biola University, where he focused on Christian apologetics and worldview studies. Um, serves currently as the executive director for REACH, which is the evangelism training arm of Search Ministries, and is regularly encouraging and facilitating gatherings and conversations aimed at helping others think more deeply about God and life. And one of the areas, is, of course, is that Matthew 28, Mark 16 part of the gospel that many of us, for some reason, don't pay attention to John Obey to laugh. It's not funny. But, you know, you start off with t- saying, hey, look, I want to tell 
others about Jesus, but, and then I've got a whole list of reasons why I mm-hmm. don't want to do yeah. it. Why, why are we so reluctant to share the gospel? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, if somebody is engaged with Scripture and they're part of a church, then they understand the value of sharing Christ with others. They may even want to, but uh, um, they, they feel ill-equipped, they feel scared to do it, they feel like if someone asks them questions, they won't be able to answer it, and so they figure, well, I, I just this may just, must not be my gifting, and, you know, it is for the evangelists or the missionaries and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my, my hope is to encourage people to say, no, God, God's given you the ability to share Christ, too. In fact, He's put you in circles that nobody else is in, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and if you uh, can, you know, learn a few things, uh, then uh, there's probably some ways that you can do it in a way that's not natural, that is natural, and it doesn't sort of feel forced or painful. That it, yeah. it really is a joy. You know, it's interesting that that desire for comfort really does drive a lot of what we do. And I, I, if we're mm-hmm. honest, I'm sure there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who don't realize that the reason that they're at the church they are is because I feel comfortable worshiping here. You know, there's a group for me to be a Bible study with, and I feel comfortable with what my pastor teaches. And and after a while, mm-hmm. you begin to realize, hey, wait a minute. I mean, if there's sin and error in our lives, we need someone who will exhort us, who will challenge us. I mean, I don't want to go to the gym and have my trainer just say, do the stuff that's easy. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, want, I, I, I know that if yeah. I got a good workout, I'm going to come out huffing and puffing and maybe even thinking about firing mm-hmm. this guy. But he really challenged me. And this is an area where a lot of Christians, I think we could potentially be holding each other back from our God-given mission simply because we don't have others in our world who are saying, let's go and preach the gospel. Talk about the the, the friendship factor and, and how that can be a, a good way to share the gospel, or it might be keeping us from doing so. Yeah. So, you know, I think... Um... Yeah, sometimes that reticent to share is because we have a wrong sort of view or a, an ineffective view of evangelism, at least for our time and season in history. So, you know, sometimes we think of evangelism as purely this sort of point in time event where we, okay, I'm going to take someone to lunch and today they're going to get it. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Um, as opposed, yeah, as opposed to it being a process, um, most people um, t- they require sort of many touches of the gospel. Um, many different conversations where they're able to ask questions um, about things because they don't understand things because they've heard other things. And so that's going to take time. And if we don't sort of put our pressure on ourselves to sort of have to seal the deal today, but we just begin conversations and we see where the road takes us, it, it's much more pleasant sort of thing. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And there's going to be times where, yeah, we've got to kind of stick our neck out a little bit. Um, but but if we're thinking of evangelism is I've got to make the sale today, then then it's probably not gonna uh, work out too well, and you, you'll just quit doing it. Like you just say, this this, this isn't for me. So yeah. um, But if we build friendships, if we um, we really care what other people think, if we explore what they think, um, if we ask you know what they think about God, or you know if you, we do share things about the Bible, if we ask for their response in return and sort of discover where they're at with things um, and keep it a conversation, then it really can be uh, a, a super um, pleasant and even exciting sort of venture with someone. Mm-hmm. Dr. John Hopper is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about his brand new book called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I know one of the misconceptions that I had when I was a new Christian, I gave my life to the Lord in middle school, like a lot of people do, and then I really got saved my first year of college because that's when I realized that my middle school faith was consu- consisted of, I'm a good person, I don't drink, I don't mm. party, you know, I, I, I go to church every Sunday, and God always answers my prayers the way I want him to. So what could mm. be better than that, right? And then my freshman year of college, my whole life kind of fell apart, and I wound up going, oh, gosh. <laughs> and that's when I met the real Jesus. You know, it's like, okay, mm. now I'm accepting mm. you on your terms. There are some things, though, yeah. I, that, that you write about in the book that are barriers and that keep people from receiving mm. faith in Christ. And yeah. I think it's important for us to realize that they aren't necessarily—it's it, one of those—it's not me, it's you. I mean, that that's—these mm. are things that are going to—that are on the other person. Talk about what those barriers are, because I think understanding them will make it easier for us to say, yeah. oh, now I know why you're not hey. receiving what I'm sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first barrier is uh, called the emotional barrier, so it's just— means there are times 
there are events that happen in someone's past that uh, impact their sort of view of the church or the Bible or God. Maybe they, you know, went to a youth group as a as a 15 year old. They were invited by a friend, and and the kids there made fun of them. Well, they don't mm. want to go to church after that, right? They've got mm-hmm. this sort of emotional barrier there. Maybe they prayed that God would not uh, take a loved one, you know, when they were. 10 years old, and their father or their mother died, and it's like, well, I don't want anything to do with God. So there's these emotional hurts there. So people have those barriers there. People also have intellectual barriers. They just got reasonable questions to, to what I would call reasonable answers. I you know, sat down with a, a gentleman, and he said, you know, I've been invited to a few Bible studies, and I've gone to them, but I just want to know, like, why should I trust the Bible more than other books? And he wasn't asking that to sort of, you know, create a stumper for me. He just didn't know. Like he, like he, right. he didn't know if there was really any historical basis for it or not. So, um, so that's just a barrier for people that we have to help them sort of cross there. And then I think mm-hmm. there's just the, the spiritual barrier for people where even if they've got their questions answered, even if they don't have emotional barriers, hey, everybody wants to be the sort of the captain of their own ship. <laughs> and, sure, um, sure. and, you know, that's, that's a barrier we've got to, you know, uh, you know, really ask God to sort of help people over. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, John Hopper is my here on the bottom line, and we're talking about giving Jesus away, finding joy in sharing the gospel. His brand new book that's up at thebottomlineshow.com. When you think about those barriers, they all make sense. I mean, that, that, that they're mm-hmm. there, but for the grace of God, we were all there at one point as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you mentioned like the intellectual one, that that will send a lot of Christians running saying, well, what happens if they ask a question and I don't know the answer? Because mm-hmm. the, the thought is, I'm a Christian, so therefore I'm perfect. You know, sanctification <laughs> happened immediately and salvation is something I keep yeah. going back and forth to instead of going the other way around but that it does kind yeah. of bring up yeah. give it give us permission dr john hopper to how do we handle that situation where there's that guy who's very clever and has been burned by the church before knows just enough bible yeah. to be dangerous and mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. usually shoot down anybody who's knocking on the doorstep yeah yeah well um there's a couple of things i mean first of all if they are sort of using these questions to sort of shoot us down and there's sort of a bite to it you can almost guess that there's actually an emotional hurdle more than there's an intellectual mm. hurdle. Okay. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Sure. That, that's why they're asking it the way they are. So so sometimes we have to backtrack and say, you know, what, what's making you ask these questions? I mean, I can tell you're real passionate about asking these questions. And we might find out that that story from the past that, that sort of needs some almost some tender care. Because sometimes what people have experienced in the past is legitimate. It's legitimate hurt. And we need to say, uh-huh. you know what, that was bad the way that church treated you or that Christian treated you. And once we get on the same side of the table with them with that, then, you know, some dialogue can go forward. But if they do have questions that, uh, you know, sort of come up and we're, and we're afraid, you know, what if I do get asked these questions? And a lot of Christians are asked, uh, you know, afraid of getting asked these questions. All we simply need to do is say, you know, that's a really great question, and I, I, I think I want to think about that before I, I try to answer it. And then give yourself time. You know, you've honored the person by, by telling them it's a good question, and um, you haven't sort of tried to make up something on the fly. Right. And, and then you go and you do a little bit of homework. I, uh, before I wrote Giving Jesus Away, I, I wrote a book called Questioning God that answers like 15 of the questions that, you know, commonly get asked. And so, you know, do a little reading, sort of figure out, you know, a way that you would answer the question, then go back to them and say, hey, remember when you asked me that question? I've been thinking about it. When you say that, you've honored them again, and you say, I'd like to just share with you kind of kind of what I've kind of wrestled through and come up with, and I'd like to hear what you think. And so you just share in a few minutes your answer, and then you put the question back on them. So does that make sense to you, or is, it, is any of that strange to you? And you make it a conversation again. And if you sort of go about things that way— um, you're not trying to create sort of a drop mic moment. Um, right. You can really sort of move forward in conversation. Boy, that's good advice and good counsel from Dr. John Hopper today on The Bottom Line. We're discussing evangelism. We're talking about his brand new book called Giving Jesus, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Dr. John Hopper, my guest today here on the program. We're talking about evangelism and how we as Christians just kind of need to get over ourselves and share the gospel. Uh, Don't say, I'm too nervous, or I don't know how to get a conversation started, or one time I tried it, but the people asked me questions and I couldn't answer them, and I gave up. John's written a book that takes all the... uh, 
animosity and fear out of the equation. The book is called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, John Hopper's book is called Giving Jesus Away. And if you've always felt a little intimidated by evangelism, this will help you no longer be intimidated Actually, you know what should be more intimidating to each of us as believers is the fact that God gave us a command to go share the gospel. And so few of us look for opportunities to do so. John Hopper's book will help you. It's not foolproof, obviously. It's not follow these three steps and you'll be the greatest evangelist in the world. But it does create some good conversation starters on this most important topic. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, more of my conversation with John Hopper coming up next as the bottom line continues. Bottom line show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn and I appreciate you. And I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the Pregnancy Resource Center that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to a preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who may be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. Dr. John Hopper is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, a proud graduate of Biola University and with his doctorate of ministry there. Uh, he's the author of a brand new book called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy in Sharing the Gospel. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, there, we've, we've all been through the rather painful experience of someone who, like you said, has the script, is trying to make the sale, you know, close the deal today, you know, type of evangelism, which really doesn't work. I mean, the relational stuff is so helpful. What I've noticed as I've gotten older, now I'm in my 60s and uh, had a chance to get be in pastoral ministry for a few years. And one thing I have noticed is when we talk about going into the world and preaching the gospel, you know, there are two things that come up that we don't necessarily get right. One is we're not really clear on what the gospel is. And secondly, we're trying to make converts, not disciples. Um, that's kind of a mm. loaded question here, but let's yeah. start with the first part. Yeah. You've got a chapter in the book on getting okay. clear on the good news. Talk about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it is important that we get clear on it. I, you know, if you go into church for a while, um, grew up in the church, you kind of know, you know, some of the facts of the gospel. And in fact, if you were asked, you know, um, sort of questions, you know, do you believe that, you know, you're a sinner. Do you believe that Christ died for you? Do you have you placed your trust? You might be able to answer all the questions correctly, but mm-hmm. oftentimes, if you were forced to sort of, sort of put it out there yourself, <laughs> so in prose, you you would struggle with that. And so it's important that we kind of, you know, we get better at being clear in share, sharing the gospel um, and sort of the major points of it that really have to do with God's character with with our character and consequences of our sin, what Christ has done for us, and what what's the needed response. We need to get clear on those different elements of, of that. And, and, and part of that is, is, is just practice. Um, one of the things that I suggest that people do is to just sort of write out a conversation. Pick a character, you can put your own name, and then you pick your, a friend's name, and you just write out the conversation like you were having it, you were sharing the gospel, and force yourself to kind of write out and explain the sort of the different pieces of, of the gospel, so that you're just, um, you're getting clear, you're getting better at how you might share it. Now, it doesn't mean that in your first conversation with someone, that's exactly where you're going to go to sort of the full gospel message, but at some point, you're going to want to share the different sort of elements and, and pieces of, of the gospel so that people can can understand it. 
You know, it's important to understand that and be able to do it clearly and concisely. And it does take practice. I mean, you and I both know if you're public mm -hmm. speaking, if you're writing something like that, mm -hmm. having an editor, working through it with other people, having mm -hmm. folks that are mm -hmm. on your team can do that about being clear. Mm -hmm. But then the other part of it, too, is I wonder how many of us get, well, my wife likes to say, my, every day my goal is to not get in God's way. You know, I because mm. I can mm. see myself going, okay, God's doing this over here, and I want to get in this too, instead of saying, let God work <laughs> through you, instead of getting in the way. How much of your own story do we tell? I mean, how mm. much of it do mm. we not tell, Dr. John Hopper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the gospel, of course, doesn't rest on our story. So, I mean, it's it's true whether we have a story or not, right? So, so we don't want people to sort of believe just because we believed. And so, hey, our, right. your story was great. So, you know, so that's why I believe. But at the same time, you know, I think that people, they need to see sort of what the gospel looks like when we wear it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. um, not just sort of hear the facts of it. And so sometimes when we share a, our story of kind of where we were, um, kind of what, you know, just you talked about sort of your first year in college experience. And if you shared that story and sort of how kind of life fell apart and, and how you thought you had the answers, but you really didn't, and how you saw that Jesus began to fill those answers, how you turned to him, and you began to tell that story, people would say, oh, now I kind of know what it looks like, you know, on. It's not just clothes on the rack <laughs> anymore. Right, so, right. Um, this is what it looks like, and maybe that would look good on me, too. Mm. That's helpful. Do Dr. John Hopper is with me today here on The Bottom Line in the book, Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, there are times when, I mean, I talked about my first few years of, uh, of conversion, and even today when I realized that uh, it, there's maybe something as simple and as innocuous as wishing someone a blessed day instead of a good day, you know, and you kind of see that as mm. maybe doing mm. one half of the ichthus and they do the other half, you know, on the ground, uh, either mm. to find that common mm. connection or to see how people respond mm -hmm. to it, you know. Um, but I, I yeah. realized that each of us have our own issues too. You mentioned that the barriers other people have, the three barriers that keep people from knowing the Lord, each of us kind of comes with our own baggage too. How do we identify mm. something that might be, why is it that every time I you know, try to share the gospel, somebody runs away from it? What am I doing wrong? What are some of the mm. barriers that we mm. might be dealing with? The same ones or are there different yeah. ones? Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it is important to sort of um, recognize our own barriers. Sometimes when I share about other people's barriers, the emotional barrier and the intellectual barrier and spiritual barrier, people go, yeah, yeah, I can see those barriers in my, you know, my uncle or my neighbor or my coworker. Um, but they still find themselves reticent to share, and it's because they have their own barriers inside of them. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, And those barriers can be in all different directions. Uh, for many people, it's just a sense of inadequacy, like, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this, right? So... Um, I'm, I'm not very good at speaking or explaining things. I mean, that was Moses's, <laughs> um, right. you know, sort of rebuttal to God when God asked <laughs> him to sort of lead the people out of out of Egypt. So, um, so we just have sometimes a sense of inadequacy. Sometimes we have a checkered past. Like, you know, if we're trying to share with somebody that you know knew us in high school <laughs> and they they knew what kind of person we were in high school, mm -hmm, right? you might mm -hmm. think, what do I have to share, right? I, so, how do I get past that sort of? Um, sort of checkered past. You know, sometimes it's just I, I could call it misordered loves, um, where we um, we've just we see that sharing Christ is important, but it's really down on our list behind a whole lot of other things, and we have to realize, mm -hmm. no, no, I, this has got to get up higher. And then, of course, there's just this massive, pervasive fear sometimes that that we have in sharing the gospel, and particularly in sort of hurting relationships. Well, if I share something, that will make it awkward. So we do need to identify those. Of different barriers inside of us, and and begin to address those. Really take those to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I feel inadequate. I need your adequacy. Lord, you in the past, you, know, you look in Scripture. God used a lot of people with a checkered past. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there be uh, Moses or David or Rahab or whoever. So yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so yeah, we need to identify and begin to address those barriers within ourselves. 
Dr. John Hopper, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, a great conversation about evangelism, about going into all the world and preaching the gospel, baptizing those who believe it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His book is called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's take the final moments, John. It's something we talked about earlier and you write about in this new book, about the importance of making disciples and not just converts. Talk about the difference, if you would. Yeah. So I, I think sometimes if we, particularly if we have a sort of a point-in-time evangelism model where we just sort of share and, okay, okay, they agreed with me, they shook their head, and, you know, we kind of move on, Yeah. Um, then we're going to really sort of leave people f- sort of flailing at the best. So, so oftentimes people will even nod in agreement when we share the gospel, but if you have more conversations, we realize they didn't even get it in the first place. So <laughs> we need to keep fo- <laughs> keep following up with them um, and really help them to sort of establish what I call sort of healthy habits, right? So reading the scriptures and praying, being part of a believing community, um, being sort of uh, uh, generous investors of our own lives and and the cause of Christ. And, and we have got to, you know, be that example for them, bring them along to things and sort of show them what we do and how we do it. And, you know, not to straightjacket them like they've got to do it just like us, but just sort of set an example. And and show them sort of these healthy habits that allow them to to grow and listen better to the spirit uh, that God has now placed in them, right? To to mm-hmm. lead them uh, in their in their journey going forward. Well, th- those are good uh, tips, good recommendations, and of course, there is no one size fits all. There is no you know standard formula. Follow these three steps, and it's going to work. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate what Dr. John Hopper has laid out in this brand new book, Giving Jesus Away, because we do have a mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We do, and we're to do that until we have no more breath left in our lungs. And that, that's the, something that even that issue, Dr. John Hopper addresses in this brand new book. Again, it's called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. John, thank you for the time that you put into uh, this area of ministry that's been so helpful for so many of us. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Well, it's great to be with you, and thank you for inviting me to be a part of your show, Roger. Always a great conversation. Good to have John back with us on the program today. John Hopper and the uh, he's the author of the book called Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have one copy of John Hopper's book. Uh, called Giving Jesus Away. It's a great uh, study in evangelism. It's very, very practical, and I highly recommend it. That's why I'm glad we're giving away a copy today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I want to look at a, uh, a situation here locally that deals with a very, very difficult issue. And the question you might want to ask is, well, why has it taken us so long to step up and speak out. If we consider ourselves pro-life and we support the sanctity of human life at every age and stage, why is the problem of maternal mortality not always addressed? And why does it seem that maternal mortality, which means mothers who die either during childbirth or die as a result of childbirth, that sounds like something, a little house of the prairie, right? But it happens, it's very common even today. And you have to ask the question, why is it happening and who will do something about it? Well, uh, on the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at a university right here in the Southland that is stepping up and doing something about it in a way that I think uh, we in the body of Christ can learn something from. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Dr. John Hopper for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called Giving Jesus Away. And I... I mean, when you think about it that way, well, it should be pretty easy for us to evangelize, right? Um, finding joy in sharing the gospel. The link is up for the book at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy that we are giving away today. See, we're giving the book away about giving Jesus away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. One copy of John Hopper's book called Giving Jesus Away. You know, it's interesting as we have been uh, having conversations over the past, probably the past year, about uh, our friends at Preborn and the work that they're doing 
in the sanctity of human life area. The pro-life movement has changed so much over the past 50 years. The number of people who uh, have been supporting pro-life, it started, you know, when Roe versus Wade passed and abortion, it wasn't like abortion was invented on January 22nd, 1973. Every January, we've been uh, commemorating Sanctity of Life Month uh, in conjunction with uh, the Roe decision. And uh, we'll be doing another Sanctity of Life uh, weekend programming the Friday, March, uh, January 19th, which is March for Life Day in Washington, D.C., and then there's a California March for Life that's never lined up with the national one. It's always kind of marching to their own drummer. But then um, coming up on, uh, on January 22nd here on the Bottom Line Show, we're going to devote a lot of our programming to commemorating the passing of Roe versus Wade. Not that we're celebrating it, but we can now celebrate the passage of Dobbs versus Jackson on the 22nd of June, uh, 20, or 24th of June, 2022. And now uh, the pro-life community rejoices. Roe versus Wade is no longer considered the gold standard. For the longest time, states would pass their own laws about um, abortion and things like that. And many states would make abortion legal, but it was kind of tied into the wording of the language of their laws uh, with basically just kind of presuming that Roe versus Wade would never be overturned. And it's amazing to see, I think a big there's been some, several turning points when the pro-life community stops saying, you know, it's a bait, it's a child, not a choice. And, you know, the, the left doesn't care about the humanity. The left cares about the legal side and the left cares about women's rights. And as you saw in California in uh, the November 22 midterm elections, uh, Proposition 1 sailed through the California electorate because all Democrats had to do was tell their own voters, look, democracy is at risk. You have to vote yes on Prop 1. Nobody bothered to read Prop 1 that allows for abortion on demand without exception, all the, literally to the point where you could go to a hospital. If a woman was in labor, she could be wheeled up on a gurney and there could be to the left, go kill your kid, to the right, go to labor and delivery. And she could choose either door and it would be perfectly fine in the state of California that that child at 39 weeks of gestation could be killed. That's what California law allows for. It's, it's, it's sickening. And yet, sometimes when we think of the pro-life community, we often think, well, if we could stop the abortions, bring the abortion rate down. I saw Dr. Alveda King had posted something on her social media last week that said, there are now 18 states in the United States that are completely abortion-free. It's illegal to get any kind of abortion in those states. That's incredible. When you consider that two, well, a year and a half ago, Roe versus Wade was the law of the land, basically. <laughs> but you saw what happened federally. Once Roe was overturned, there was no federal law legalizing abortion. There was a Supreme Court standard that other states would set their laws based on. And it's amazing how many laws now, I mean, I never would have imagined. I knew there were seven or eight states that had some kind of restriction on abortion, had no idea that there were that many states that were abortion-free a year and a half after Roe. So while we mourn what happened in California, Colorado, Connecticut, uh, Minnesota, states like that, we are thrilled that so many states are abortion-free. But that's not the only thing that we as the, the pro-life community should be concerned with, you know, getting kids adopted out of homes where, they, uh, where, where the mom and dad aren't sure they can raise the child. Uh, take into consideration something that uh, is happening in a family right now, um, uh, there's Sanam Ahadi and her grandmother, um, Karima Lufti. Now, grandma was living in, uh, in Anaheim. And during the COVID pandemic, uh, grandma conduct, uh, contracted COVID-19. Now, at that point, uh, information was low, visitors restricted. Now, it's interesting because the virus, you know, had possible, uh, you know, really bad side effects for older adults. Uh, her condition got worse. And so Ahadi's family uh, basically took her to an emergency room in Irvine. So they're 45 minutes away from Anaheim. They were looking for better care. When they got there, a doctor told them about the monoclonal antibody treatment. Remember that one? Remember that was the one that the left told us, stop talking about that. That's unproven. The doctor said, unfortunately, here's what happened. By the time grandma was brought to the hospital, the doctor said, yes, a monoclonal antibody treatment would help you, but the disease has spread too much. 
So Sanam Ahadi applied to medical school and said, I want to be that, uh, I want to be that difference maker for people who have language barrier issues, people who are of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and, uh, and, and really need that kind of help. And so she did. Sanam Ahadi is now a student at Charles Drew University. Are you familiar with CDU at all? I had never heard of them before until this all started. I never had. Uh, Charles Drew University is a school of medicine and science. It's a private school in southeast L.A., uh, in Willowbrook, which is between Watts and Compton. And the university is named after a pioneering black surgeon by the name of Charles Drew. Uh, by the way, Charles Drew is the father of the modern blood bank, in case you're wondering. The Charles Drew University Medical School was founded right after the Watts Rebellion. And the whole idea was to say, hey, look, one of the challenges that we face right now is um, we, there are people of color who aren't going into the medical profession the way we need them to. There's Howard University, there's Morehouse College that are doing this type of training as well. But Charles Drew kind of gave that cause something on the, left, on the West Coast. And the idea was, like in the case of Sanama Hadi, grandma had a language barrier. And if there were more doctors of that, you know, Middle Eastern persuasion, that could have potentially saved her life and gotten her the treatment she needed. There are a lot of people, disproportionate number of African-American women who die uh, because of maternal mortality issues. Now, there's not a language barrier, but sometimes there is an issue of care. It, how do women respond? Do they go into some kind of septic shock? When, uh, when giving birth, especially if they're giving birth in a hospital and perhaps there's surgery involved. I mean, I, I, I definitely remember, I was talking about my daughter Emily last week. Emily is expecting. I was very excited about that. She just had a birthday last week. And I remember when she was born, uh, her mom was in labor for 22 hours and had been given a couple of epidurals and some anesthesia. And when the whole birth experience was over, uh, she went through about a day and a half of withdrawal. And she was never out of the sight of a physician or a registered nurse or some kind of qualified caregiver who knew what to look for and could answer those questions. Unfortunately, and we see this happen more and more, women of color, women of different ethnic backgrounds don't always get that kind of care. So Charles Drew University was founded in L.A. with the goal of producing doctors from the African-American community. And now here they are. They're one of the top medical schools in HB, the HBCU world, historically black colleges and universities. So how much progress has they made? Well, we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break and also take a look at how it's impacting not just maternal mortality rates, but also what's happening with regard to um, people of color as it pertains to the sanctity of human life. We're going to talk about that coming up next the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trust. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out, so you can see it's definitely not a REIT, or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account, and then while you're on the phone, and ask about our accounts that face even higher amounts for funds over 250000 Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for the book uh, by Dr. John Hopper, Giving Jesus Away, Finding Joy and Sharing the Gospel. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy they were giving away today, as I mentioned, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Charles Drew University was founded during the Watts riots right after them uh, to help people who uh, were in underserved communities, uh, people of color, etc. 
um, to find medical treatment uh, for uh, a variety of different issues. And of course, in the 60s, it was very, very challenging for people of color to find medical care, uh, either because of a lack of insurance, you know, kind of puts you in a different mood, or also, let's, let's be real, there are a lot of folks who did not want to serve people of the Hispanic or African-American communities. Charles Drew University shows up in the late 1960s and starts cranking out different uh, uh, medical professionals, and that was a good thing. But what's interesting is the number of African-American doctors in the United States has been on a very slow trajectory. As a matter of fact, there was a study uh, by the Journal of General Internal Medicine, and it, it's interesting. Um, the communities where uh, majority black and Latino having that doctor who speaks that language, if you will, has really improved healthcare outcomes. And yet the number of black doctors in the United States from 1900 to 2018 has increased, are you ready for this? 4%. Now, Charles Drew University uh, uh, achieved a special level of accreditation back in 2022, and they are now partnering with UCLA to basically, um, the, uh, the They've been giving those degrees out for a long time. They are now getting ready to graduate 60 students in a cohort. It'll be the first time that they will have a medical degree from Charles Drew University. That in and of itself is going to speak volumes to the people that they're serving. But these doctors are also graduating with the understanding that they'll go into the underserved communities and be that light for those people who need it. And, and I think that's it's really wonderful. For those of us who say, I'm pro-life, Roger, I give to pre-born. I, I want to stop the, the cycle. The reason why that issue is so important, too, is when you consider the communities of color, especially like in a place like New York City. New York City, for the past five years running at least, more African-American babies have been aborted than have been born. They literally have a negative birth rate of black children in New York City. And the list goes on. The abortion community targets people of color. And so we, on the one hand, you look and say, wow, there's so many disparities. Why are the insurance opportunities not there? You know, what about having a doctor who speaks your language? That whole bit, you know, understands your culture. And on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but then you've got big medicine trying to <laughs> rub you out. It's really crazy. We put this article up at the bottom line show.com. By the, thing, what makes, by the way, what makes this so interesting is that this is the U.S. edition of The Guardian, the British publication. Haven't seen this in any other local publications around here, but this is right here in our backyard in Los Angeles. And for those listening out of state or Bay Area, you know, I, I get it. <laughs> you know, this isn't in your backyard. But if we're going to be pro-life, we have to be whole life. Literally, I say from conception to graduation, every aspect of the human experience is very important to care for and deserves care. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up more men and women to serve as doctors and nurses and technicians in all different areas of life, people from all different backgrounds, everyone who is not bound, bonded by ethnicity or racial uh, disparity rather, but because we are spiritually connected as brothers and sisters, one in spirit. And we pray, Father, that uh, those of us who profess to be pro-life would be more vocal in expressing our concern for disparities in this area. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Last call for John Hopper's book, Giving Jesus Away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, I really hope you get this book and enjoy it because it's a, it's a very meaningful one for me personally. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus is coming up next. By the way, Rabbi Schneider is going to be with us on an upcoming edition of the Bottom Line Show. It's either next week or the week after. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Who's going to be hosting it this week? You'll find out on the other side of this break as the Bottom Line continues.